Looking for a football show with a bit of a twist? So I know the likes of Griezmann's big into his fashion. He wanted a lot. One question he actually asked me was, uh, could he make his studs light up when he runs? <laughs> Team 33, the football magazine show for the football purists. Yeah, the Nike materials from 1998, if you just show that boost to a, a, an entire generation of people, I mean, it's good instantly nostalgic and remember everything from that era. The very best interviews with the cult heroes of the past and a look at the cultural side of football. Team 33, live at 9pm every Friday on OTB Sports Radio. Welcome along to this week's edition of the Snap American Football on Off the Ball, of course, is brought to you with the Erlingus College Football Classic, Navy versus Notre Dame at the Aviva Stadium on August 29th. Check out collegefootballireland.com for game tickets and more. As ever, we've got uh, Ronan and Keen with us. Gents, how are you both doing? Keen, I'll start with you. How are you getting on? I'm doing good. I'm, it's, this is a bit, little less weird than watching those uh, TV shows. Have you seen any of the late night shows in America? They're all doing them specially from their couch now, and it's just bizarre. It's this is the new world, I guess, but it doesn't feel as weird for us because we do it all the time anyway. I heard Jimmy Fallon wasn't even mic'd up last night. The shame, the shame. I did, I saw him like going for a walk with his wife at one stage or something. They're really struggling for content. I listen to a lot of um, comedy podcasts and a lot of comedians, and I've noticed last week all they're doing now is talking about their journey and their careers, and it's like if comedians are running out of things to talk about, the rest of us have no shot. Well, I mean, I think surely comedians said have plenty of material. The uh, the internet is alive with uh, with people. How is um, life in Dundalk, Ronan? All good, Jer. All good. Um, better call Saul's keeping me going. Are you starting that off, or are you are you up to date? We've we've done two seasons. We've done recaps of two seasons, and uh, we I'm actually just finished season four last night. So, I'll see you heading into season five, which. You're, How far is season five? Is it nearly finished? Is it finishing this week? Season five, I think there's a couple of episodes left and this is the penultimate season. So it's actually going to go longer than Breaking Bad did. But uh, some might argue it's surpassed Breaking Bad, Joe. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite ready to say. Just, I, to be honest, what this has done is made me want to go back and rewatch Breaking Bad because I never did that. So I always watched it kind of just to see what was happening in the story. And then um, I think you kind of have to watch something twice to fully understand it. But, um, well, look, we, we, we are not that stuff for content because we actually have loads of stuff to uh, get into. We're going to talk about uh, Justin Jefferson, Kenneth Murray. We're going to talk about top five QBs. I wanted to start by talking about Alden Smith. Um, when I was kind of starting to get properly back into um, the NFL, Alden Smith was the best and most interesting player on the 49ers on a defense that was absolutely sensational. Um, and so I've kind of followed the derailment of his career really closely over the last couple of years. And I always felt like there was, there was like a personal tragedy there for him where he just couldn't control his drinking and whatever else came with that. And that, that was the thing that had stopped him being a great athlete. And it cost him literally tens of millions of dollars because he was such a, a transcendent talent. But the Cowboys have just signed him on a one-year, $4 million deal. And usually the NFL writes these players off and doesn't really cast them a second thought. Um, was, it, was it Will Blackman or was it Justin Blackman, the, um, Justin. the wide receiver? Justin at the, at the Jags, who also looked like a transcendent talent who had issues with, with booze. And you think of um, Maurice Claret all the way back who had issues with booze that they just they couldn't find a way to make him work. And with, with Josh Gordon, they've, 
they've learned a little bit better than with uh, with Alden Smith. Now, Alden Smith obviously was completely crazy at uh, certain times. He would he was arrested at one point for making a joke about having a bomb in his um, in his luggage at an airport. The type of stupid stuff that uh, people when they're um, you know, not properly tuned into life, do. But here he is back, and and you know, a little a little bit of me wishes that it was actually with the 49ers that he was playing because uh, it's such a good story. Kim, what do you what do you make of this? I was going to say that timing of your interest in football spiking again came with Jim Harbaugh's arrival, which isn't a coincidence, I'm guessing. The that 49ers team was freakishly good on defense with Justin Smith and Alden Smith. Alden Smith was one of those rookies who came in and he was so spectacularly talented, so spectacularly good physically that he could play as a sub-package player at the time, which meant he was only playing probably 450 to 500 snaps in a season, which is half of what you get. Well, they went to the Super Bowl, so it's probably less than half of what you play. So he was basically a situational rusher, and he was still able to be a, a hugely impactful player. And then in his second season, he had 19.5 sacks, and he was along the lines of J.J. Watt, Von Miller, one of those types of players. He could dominate any game, any game he wanted to, and just take it over completely. And like you say, from, there, from that point onwards, just problem after problem for incident after incident and it's not just drinking it's drinking and driving a lot of the time it's been incidents in the house where there's been a weapons charge a federal weapons charge there's been a lot of there's a, a domestic violence case as well which I don't know how much that came through that was in 2018 so it's not like this is a very long time ago but the the comparable for this isn't really in football it's in the UFC with John Jones where John Jones is so talented he keeps getting in trouble but he, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact him as much because Alden Smith's able to, because uh, he's so talented. Sorry, but it doesn't impact John Jones as much because he gets to be the very best in the league and or the very best in the UFC, and he's a dominant, dominant uh, fighter. Alden Smith's dominant, but he also played for the Raiders after playing with the 49ers. It wasn't as good, wasn't as effective. So you can't really point to his early career and say, that's great, that's, that's what you're getting. The Cowboys are taking a punt on a guy who's 31 years of age and hasn't played in four years. It's not really bringing in a star and a star coming back going to have a huge impact. From the Cowboys' point of view, they've tried this with players. So you have to be careful there because like, you're comparing players in, who have off-field issues, but off-field issues covers a lot of bases. So you can't really compare guys and say they're the same. But from the Cowboys' point of view, they've tried to get Randy Gregory on the field. They've tried with Greg Hardy. And these are all for different reasons. Same position, same pass rushers who didn't work out because they eventually became a problem. Well, in Greg Hardy's case, he became, he became a problem because he disrupted the locker room and his attitude. It wasn't a suspension, but he was uh, under threat of suspension when they signed him and he was a controversial player. Randy Gregory's case, he never had any problems in the locker room, performed very well in the field, just kept getting suspended for, I think his problem was weed as far as I can remember. But the Cowboys have tried this before. They've failed many times. I don't think the Cowboys are the best team for this, but Alden Smith has an opportunity because he's still relatively young to come in and establish his career again. It's just, we tend to talk about him in the framing of at his 49ers in the early years. I don't think that's the right thing to do because he did play after that point and he did drop off after that point. I would, sorry, just before you come in on that, Ronan, I had not realised that there was a domestic violence charge in the middle of all that as well. So obviously I'd uh, tuned out after he ended up on the Raiders. So um, it's less the happy story than it would be. But I think... Um, so I heard Jake Laser talk about this around the time of the Super Bowl. One of the things that he does, that Glazer does, is he has a, a charity for former players that reaches out to try and help them. And I do feel like the NFL has a responsibility to people who go off the rails in a way that, um, you know, these student athletes have in many cases 
uh, made a lot of money for the organization which gets them to the NFL and then the NFL kind of cast them aside after six months or nine months or a year if they're if they're not fit and well and, and not productive on the field and so it does feel like there's a need for people to be given an opportunity for a second chance particularly when it's something as simple as a drink or a, a drugs addiction like these are fairly straightforward things that happen in the real world and sports should be looking out for people who who have those types of well, we should we should mention while we're saying that we should mention that the cba has changed a little bit in relation to drug testing not a huge amount as far as i can tell but that would help randy gregory and josh gordon more than it would all of it yeah for sure ronan anything uh, any anything on this i was just going to say it, it, it is notable that the threshold for tolerance has seemed to change in the last year or two that like even Antonio Brown, who's arguably objectively the most talented wide receiver in the league, can't find a team in for this forthcoming season. So I think in a, in a world where maybe five years ago he would have jumped onto one of a dozen teams, I think people are a bit reluctant to take a chance on him, and that seems to be a developing trend. I think we may as well talk about him. Obviously, he's been training with um, Lamar Jackson. He's also been training with his cousin, which I think is the the link here essentially. So Hollywood Brown is, um, I think I'm right in saying Antonio Brown's cousin. Hollywood has been training with Lamar Jackson. I mean, I'm not sure if it's a quarantine, if they're all obeying all the rules that they're supposed to be, or if this is going to be an issue down the line. But um, as a Ravens fan, is this something that you would like to see, Ronan? That, you know, you can, he's a man who's had his issues and this is the last few months, the, the dying embers of a career that are resurrected to, uh, to bring the Ravens another Super Bowl. You're like, yeah, okay, come on, give me my brown jersey. Well, he, uh, he had a game-breaking impact against the Ravens multiple times, like one notable game where it was like a, a, he broke the plane in the end zone at the very last uh, dying embers of one of those games and that uh, won, won it for the Steelers. So we're, we're used to seeing him uh, baiting us, but I don't think I'd be that comfortable, like the talent notwithstanding. I just think as much as the Ravens are building a paradigm for a new brand of football, they're building a culture there as well, led by Lamar Jackson. I just think bringing someone like that in with that kind of temperament just knocks things askew and he's probably more trouble than he's worth at this point in his career. I think the other thing about Antonio Brown is he has been for better, I have to find the right word here. He has been the same guy he is right now for 10 years, but he's always been worth it. And he was always enough, good enough in the locker room to be on a roster. I think people forget the Steelers did not want to let him go. They did not want to trade him away. He forced his way out of there. And then in Oakland, it went to a, a further extreme. And then in New England, they wanted to keep him until there was uh, accusations. And it, I, I'm not sure if there's a charge there, but there's accusations off the field. And they actually kept him for a week after that. So you have to recognize that Tony Brown isn't out of the league right now because no one wants him. Like That's been one of these narratives. He's out of the league because he's disrupting locker rooms to the degree that it's not worth it from his talent point of view. The Ravens are the last team in the league that should be looking at that because they don't need him. Like there are teams in the league who desperately need an off and a wide receiver outside. If you bring Antonio Brown in there, sure he gets along with his cousin and Lamar is there, who's a really strong locker room presence by all accounts. But is that really worth the risk? Does John Harbaugh really want to deal with that? I don't think so. It's mad reading that Seth Wickersham piece, uh, the second one, not the original Kraft Belichick Brady love triangle, but the one that came out a couple of weeks ago, which basically uh, insinuated that the Brown Patriot saga was the straw that broke the camel's back for Brady that he was looking around saying, we need this guy and, you know, putting all the off-field stuff to one side. If you don't keep him, I'm not hanging around. So the fact that Brady's uh, legacy in New England hinged on someone who's unhinged, I found quite bizarre, but, you know. 
such as and, like, and he wanted him. He wanted the. He wants the Buccaneers to sign him, but uh, Bruce Arians basically said, "No, we don't. We don't need him. We don't have the cap space for him." And that's telling because Bruce Arians was, as far as I remember, the the coach or the yeah, he was sorry, the wide receivers coach, maybe the offensive coordinator at the time, where who developed Antonio Brown. And Bruce Arians is famous for developing wide receivers. He's gone through Manuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, Antonio Holmes. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, all sorts of top top tier development receivers who've come from mid round picks or late round picks into actual quality starters. So he knows Antonio Brown's skill set and value better than anyone else. And even he said to Brady, "Look, we can't do this." He also turned Brashad Perryman from a busted somebody who you could count on down the stretch last year for the last three or four games after his top two wide receivers had been injured. So uh, he clearly knows what he's talking about, but also probably doesn't need the, the locker room disruption. Is there anybody, I mean, when you're saying the teams do need him, is, is actually a team like the Ravens not precisely the type of team that should be taking a risk on Antonio Brown? Because there's no risk to their locker room culture, really, because the locker room culture is so well established. You have the, the quarterback who is clearly the number one presence on the team and so therefore the boss and if he says this guy's okay like the the potential downside from from the disruption is going to be far more serious somewhere where you don't have a winning culture you don't have already established a, a core set of principles to guide everybody if you put them in say oh i don't know um if you put them in say somewhere like you uh, the cults they're houston like uh, where there's new stuff happening. I, I mean, Houston, maybe you can see why it would work out because they've nothing else and you'd have traded, you know, I mean, if, if you were Bill O'Brien, you might be thinking, need to take a little bit of the heat off myself here. So you sign him the week before the season starts and you put him in the team the first week and you hope that um, he hits the ground running. Uh, like, But there's, there's room for that to, to be derailed. Whereas if you actually are a really strong environment already then what's the big deal you, you know you've got a, a troublesome player you bring him in if it works works if it doesn't there's actually you've enough credit in the bank if you're Harbaugh at this point to go I could take this risk it's risk free I think the one of the one of the big things we haven't mentioned here as well is he, there's a suspension hanging over his head apparently he will be suspended or put on an exempt list when he signs with somebody he hasn't been yet because he doesn't need to be what he's in a free agent because it's a uh, an ongoing case, it's an ongoing issue, whatever the, the offense of it there is. I don't know the specific details of it, so that's why I'm not trying to speak on it. But the uh, team that kind of fits that bill, actually, for me, and surprising, you didn't mention them, is the 49ers because they just lost Emmanuel Sanders. They're a team that's trying to take a step forward without changing the quarterback because obviously they have their quarterback in, a, in, in established and they've lost pieces from their defense. So they're going to have to try and offset that with more offensive explosion. You put Antonio Brown in that offense from a football point of view, it's an incredible fit because Debo Samuel complements him very well. George Kittle's there as well. And he can run every single route Kyle Shannon asked him to run. But again, it just comes down to these off-field questions and this fit that they want. Because the other part of this is Antonio Brown isn't going to sign for $4 million. He's not going to get that Jason Witten, Alden Smith deal. He wants $20 million or $12 million plus at least because that's what he got in the Patriots. So I can't see him just going anywhere just to tag onto a roster despite how desperate he is right now. Because I think he was trying to go to the combine and interview with, 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 player, with teams even which kind of tells you where he's at a little bit yeah okay um, I, just the point on the 49ers is I don't think that they believe their quarterback is well enough established to take all the crap that would come with Antonio Brown so if Antonio Brown is sitting there brooding on the sideline bitching about Jimmy Garoppolo then suddenly the pressure is actually on Garoppolo and, and I think that might be why they would um, stay actually, away another from great him. one if, if you want to uh, talk about locker rooms and guys who are or quarterbacks who are good enough the Packers didn't sign anyone except for Devin Funches. So they desperately need a receiver. Yeah, I mean, 
that would also make a lot of sense. It was one of the ones I was thinking, how how would that work out? Well, you have a, I mean, you do have a, a quarterback who has his resting bitch face is strong, and I wonder how that relationship would work out. But if if he was to decide that he wanted him, the point about the suspension is a good one. But I mean, I'm sure you could find out exactly what that suspension is going to be by ringing the league's head office and having a conversation with Roger Goodell saying, how, how, what am I looking at here? Is it two games? Is it three games? Is it, se- is it seven games? What's going to happen? Um, that's obviously parking the moral issue of signing somebody like that. But, uh, you know, the, as we've decided, the NFL, not so much about morality. Uh, it's about trying to um, get some value. There was a couple of players that you wanted to talk about in the, uh, in the upcoming draft. Um, Jacob Fromm, Justin Jefferson and Kenneth Murray. Uh, where do you want to start here, Kian? Um, well, let's talk with Justin Jefferson since we're talking wide receivers. He's at that LSU team with uh, Joe Burrow. And he was, two years ago, he played on the outside and he struggled a little bit. A little bit. He doesn't really use his upper body. He doesn't really have any physical strength. So he gets a little bit locked down when, when cornerbacks press him outside the numbers and they can push him towards the sideline. And then last year, during Burrow's big year, Jamar Chase came in and started outside and was incredibly good. He's the superstar in that offense more than Joe Burrow is. And that allowed Jefferson to be more on the inside. And they had another receiver there whose name escapes you right now. But Jefferson is extremely fast, extremely explosive. But he's mostly limited to the slot right now because he's not really refined technically. He's not really a precise route runner. So I think he's upside, like he's six foot one. He's got all the measurables, but he doesn't play with that physicality. He doesn't show a physical frame either. He looks skinny. So I think he could be in that Jarvis Landry type of role where he's playing a lot of uh, slot, a lot of or Keenan Allen is probably a better comparison because Keenan Allen can, can stretch the field. He's going to be a receiver who I suspect will drop a little bit compared to his projections because there are other guys in the draft who are just more physically talented and more, who have more upside. And after DK Metcalf last year, I think everyone's going to want that explosive guy who they think they can coach up even more than they usually do. The coaching up is the thing. So when you're saying somebody isn't a very refined threat runner at this point in their career, how easy is it to become a refined threat runner at 22, 23, 24? Well, every case is different. Some guys go from being having no idea what they're doing. DK Metcalf, who I wrote as a disaster in college because he was a disaster in college. And this, he goes to the right coaching staff. And apparently he is someone who's just obsessed with getting better, obsessed with learning. Obsessed. He's Russell Wilson's best friend, basically which tells you a lot because Russell Wilson is extremely boring and only wants to focus on getting better all the time, apparently. So DK Metcalf is a perfect example of a receiver who was great. Doriel Green-Beckham came out with Tennessee years and years ago. Doriel Green-Beckham is as talented as any wide receiver who's ever come into the league, and he washed out pretty quickly. And the signs of him washing out pretty quickly were there for everyone to see. You could see he got traded to the Eagles before he got traded, about two weeks before that. I actually called that because it was so obvious the way he was playing. He wasn't... Uh, fulfilling the offense or what the coaching staff wanted from him, which made the trade obvious because when you've got a guy who's that physically talented, there's always going to be someone who wants him. From Jefferson's point of view, he has to learn how to release from the line, which is a big challenge because releasing from the line, like, it's basically what you, the, all the highlight videos are guys stutter stepping and doing all these slow movements that makes the defender fall over. But that doesn't actually work in the NFL. In the NFL, you need to be able to do it in one movement and get out and get into your route because the play is going to last two or three seconds at most and you have to run downfield and get through your route and be open in time for your quarterback to find you. So Jefferson has to figure that out. And now he's got to figure it out with a defensive back in the NFL who's going to be willing to stand on his face, punch his chest, grab his hand, run with him, and, and he's not scared of his speed. So playing in the slot helps you because in the slot you can go right, you can go left, or you can go downfield. You have more space to work in. So it's a bit like when you take Ryan Giggs off the wing and put him in central midfield. 
and suddenly he's like, whoa, there's loads of space in here. I used to have to work on the wing all the time. It's the same thing with wide receivers. If you're on the inside, it's a lot easier than if you're on the outside. Um, where is he going to go when you say it's going? To, he's going to fall a little bit weird, like to the end of the first round, top of the second round? That is that what we're talking about? That seems to be the projection, yeah. That, that, that seems to be the projection. I think if you're talking about the Colts high in the second round or the Colts, Colts the, yeah, the Colts sorry, are high in the second round, they, around that area, you need to find the right fit, I think. Otherwise, you could take him to it or put him on a team where, like, one of the ones that disappointed me in recent years was Calvin Ridley. And Calvin Ridley had a great rookie season, progressed a little bit in the second season. But when he went to Atlanta, it felt like it wasn't the greatest fit in the world because Mohamed Sanu was there. Obviously, he plays in the slot a lot, and Julio Jones was there. I feel like if uh, if he had gone and was allowed to develop a little bit and become more of a slot guy starting off, he would have developed more as a receiver. Instead, he played outside a lot more, and then he had to be just an outside receiver all the time and struggled a lot in his second year. So if he can wind up in a place where he can be a slot receiver full-time from the start and just be a slot receiver, he doesn't have to go outside. Some coaching staffs will tell you, a receiver has to go outside and play outside. They have to have some ability. But some coaching staffs will tell you our best receivers have to be able to play outside. And that's just not the way it is anymore. That's kind of an old-fashioned side of thinking. I think Sean Payton probably deserves a lot of credit for changing that. Because, or maybe, maybe the Packers and Mike McCarthy do because Greg Jennings went inside. But I remember when Jimmy Graham was playing in the slot and there was all this debate about is he a tight end or is he a, a wide receiver. Most of his snaps came in the slot. And it was perfect for his specific skill set. And he's a bigger player. He's not these short, small guy like that Wes Welford type that everyone thought played in the slot. Once he went on the inside, it opened up this new uh, idea or this new philosophy of football where bigger guys could play inside. And Marquise Codson was inside all the time. And Calvin Johnson, when he played, would play on the inside. And, and it was a complete mismatch nightmare there. So Mark, Michael Thomas is doing it now as another Saints receiver. So I, I think there's a, a, a long or there's a possibility of him having a long career and a very effective career. I just don't think he has the superstar talent that some of the other guys in the draft do. Okay. Um, let's talk about Kenneth Murray because uh, he is a linebacker. What's his skill set and how high is he going to be drafted, Keen? He claims to be a linebacker, but he's very small and he's, he looks more like a safety, similar to um, Isaiah Simmons who's going to the top 10. Doesn't really have a clearly identified position, doesn't really have a skill set where he fits into the, a defense straight away. There's a lot of question marks. He, he, for someone his size, he has to be better at diagnosing what's happening in front of him. The, a good example of where he's at right now is he has the physical ability to shut down any screen. But when you watch his tape, he runs the wrong, takes the wrong angle to the ball. So let's say the running back is going out to the right and he's got two blockers in front of him and the two blockers are running to the outside and he has to run over the top of them to contain it and stay on the outside. He will always try and undercut that and run behind the running back and catch the running back from behind, which makes it easy for the, for the lineman to just turn around and smack him while the running back is running away and there's a huge space. It's little things like that he has to learn and there's a lot there that he has to learn. So he's a bit of a project player as well. He's got physical talent. He's got an ability to close on, on, on players very well. But his lack of size hurts him as a tackler too. So I think you, you, if he winds up somewhere like Mike, with Mike Zimmer or someone like that, who can develop him and teach him very quickly, he, or with Bill Belichick or something like that. And that's kind of the range we're talking about, end of the first round, mid-first round, uh, top of the second round. You, you could see him become a very good player if he winds up like with a bad coaching staff or with a team that's just not capable of developing players very well. You could see him wash out pretty quickly as well. He could become the next Dion Buchanan. Okay. Um, we had a quarterback at the end of this uh, who, whose name just suddenly escapes me here. Who was there, the Jacob. quarterback you were looking at in the draft? Jacob Fromm. So we've gone through a couple Jacob of these Fromm. already. Yeah. Joe Burrow and Tua at the top, kind of the obvious guys that everyone knows. 
And then you had Jordan Love, who I liked as a project player, who uh, is a development prospect, who just needs to erase some of his uh, errors. Jacob Fromm is different from everyone again. He's lacking arm strength. He doesn't have uh, an ability to hit deep passes with high velocity. He's not going to come in and throw passes like Patrick Mahomes off balance and stuff like that. What he is, is a very smart pre-snap quarterback. He's able to read coverages very quickly. He's very accurate in short and intermediate passes. He can lead receivers to space all the time. He opens up your offense underneath and he kind of stretches the field horizontally rather than hitting deep passes vertically. He's able to work either side of the defense very quickly, get through progressions and figure out where to go with the ball. He honestly remind, or doesn't remind me, he fits the profile of a Bill Belichick quarterback, which is why he interests me a lot more than he usually would because this Patriots still need a quarterback. Jared Siddham is there. He's a little like a better version of Jared Siddham, I think. And the big question mark with him is, does he have just enough arm strength to be effective in the NFL? He had a couple of interceptions in the SEC championship last year against LSU, where the ball was thrown to the outside left and it just hung in the air too long for the defenders to come and undercut it. And that's the kind of thing that can make him break a career. Mason Rudolph, to me, if you go back to Mason Rudolph's college tape, it's really impressive. So much so that I thought he was probably the best quarterback in that class if his arm strength right. held up. But his arm strength didn't hold up. So that's a, tiny, that's a threshold. That's a tiny, tiny difference between I can hit this window in this throw and this play all the time or I'm going to leave the ball there to be intercepted or tipped away. So it's tiny margins when you don't have enough arm strength. And that's the question mark for Jacob Fromm. And we can't tell right now until he actually gets to the NFL how good he's going to be or how effective he can be until we see him throw against NFL defensive backs. Okay. Uh, let's move on because we do want to talk about the uh, top five QBs in the NFL at the moment. And I think we can all agree there's a consensus number one, right? There is there is a consensus number one quarterback in the NFL at the moment. Um, and that's the reigning Super Bowl MVP and the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. He is keen. He is definitely the best quarterback in football at the moment, right? Outside of Baltimore, sure. <laughs> so... Are you is is even the the Ravens fan making the case that Lamar Jackson is the best QB in football at the moment? No, it's actually it's such a crazy situation that the second unanimous MVP in the history of the league can't even be considered the number one quarterback in the in the country because it clearly is Patrick Mahomes, and I think he, that was born out in the Super Bowl, even though it wasn't his best game. He's he's hung in there and pulled out several playoff wins, not least a Super Bowl win, um, in a way that Jackson just hasn't granted most recent uh, playoff loss for Lamar was definitely not down to him. The, the team sort of folded around him. But I think until such a time that he can uh, meet those heights in a postseason game, you have to give the nod to Mahomes. Well, here's my thing, all right? Patrick Mahomes was the best quarterback in the NFL 12 months ago. And Patrick Mahomes' team lost in the AFC Championship game 12 months ago. And it did not stop any of us from saying that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL 12 months ago. So I don't understand this idea that Lamar Jackson doesn't get to be called the best quarterback in the NFL because they lost that playoff game and playoff game retrieved for 500 yards and was outstanding overall. I thought when you go back and review the actual tape, a lot of drops in there, a lot of bad calls in there coaching-wise and a lot of misf- unlucky, uh, unlucky plays, to be honest. But when I, from my point of view, I think the NFL right now has... When, when I look at quarterbacks, I always want to look at tiers or in rankings because the difference between the best and the second best and the third best is generally not that big or the 16th best, 17th best, 18th best is not that big. So you want to put them on the tiers. I think at the top right now, you have two guys in Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. They're both young, similar age profiles. They're both outstanding prospects. They're both well-rounded. They're both going to get better, I think, as well, which is a startling thing to say because they're all already very good. Lamar was better this last year. Mahomes played hurt and won the Super Bowl, so you have to consider those things. 
To me, this is like Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson. If you go back to their first four and five years, Andrew Luck was the best rookie. Russell Wilson was the best second-year player. Andrew Luck was better in his third year. And Russell Wilson was better in his fourth year. It literally rotated year after year because they were very close as players, very different styles of players. Lamar and Mahomes are very different styles of players as well. Not as, as different as Luck and Wilson were, but there are clear differences there because of Lamar Jackson's ability to run the ball. So I think I would take Lamar over Mahomes, but you're not really going to argue either of these. The really interesting aspect of this is for about a decade now, there's been a consensus number one in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers does not even get mentioned anymore. Yeah, well, where, where is Aaron Rodgers on your list? So we, we asked you to compile a top five. I have Russell Wilson three at the moment. That's, um, so my number one is Mahomes. Number two is Lamar. And Russell Wilson is number three for me. I think most people would agree with you. And you, you can't really argue with Russell Wilson from last year. It's always MVP level performance. I think Aaron Rodgers is still the third best quarterback in the league, though. And the reason I would go back to that is 50, I've been charting quarterbacks for the last two months. So this is all I'm doing every day is watching these guys and looking at what they've done specifically. And I did Rodgers last week. And what came up was 51 of his plays were dropped, of his accurate passes were dropped. So he's throwing 600 passes in a season. So that percentage is 50 out of 600 is 12% of your passes. So you're looking at a quarterback who can't do everything for his team and carry his team. Geronimo Allison dropping everything, uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and even Devontae Adams at 12 drops last year. So 13 of his deep throws, deep accurate passes, were dropped. Andy Dalton had 13 accurate deep throws all season long. That tells you how much of a, a, a problem he's playing with. That's an anchor he's carrying with him all the time. So if you look at the production, you can say, yeah, Aaron Rodgers has dropped off. When you go to the actual performance, he's still this superstar player. The problem is you're rotating his wide receivers from Packers, practice squad, free agency, retired. They're not going and playing and excelling everywhere else. They haven't had a good receiving core since that last Super Bowl that they won, I think it was 2012, when they had Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver. And ironically, they could go five deep. Now they go one deep. So he's number three for you. Um, is that right? Is he number three for you? Yeah. Okay. Um, Ronan, who's your number three? I agree with you, Jerry. Russell Wilson, number three, and were it not for Lamar going uh, lights out towards the end of last season, he was he seemed to be nailed on for the MVP. And just in terms of Russell Wilson, his temperament and his skill, it's hard to think of anybody like when the chips are down that you'd be more comfortable with in a in a close game. It always seems like when the game's in the balance in the fourth quarter, he never actually loses the game. He always like runs out of time more than anything. And not bar that one notable instance with Malcolm Butler, but. Um, in the last few seasons, he's just his temperament has has gone through the roof, and it was very notable. Like he he came in as part of that Legion of Boom, where they were very much the driving force of that Seattle team. And Pete Carroll made a sea change in his own mind, where he said, "I'm giving the keys to this guy," and it like it, yeah. it kind of peed off with Richard Sherman and Co. And even you know, like going back to Marshawn Lynch was none too pleased with. He was basically insinuating that Pete Carroll wanted Russell Wilson to have the glory moment in that Super Bowl. And it was very much, it was a turning point for that franchise. They basically backed Wilson as the new face of Seattle. And I think it has worked out. They probably haven't gotten as many championships as their talent would have suggested. But, you know, I think they're going in the right direction. I think that uh, they don't have the receiving core, actually. And it's funny how, um, if you think back, having Russell Wilson in your team actually allows you to spend more money on defense because you don't have to spend that much money on, you can sign rookies and you can sign free agents and you can try and, um, cook the books a little bit that way. So I would say it's a clear case. He's slightly ahead uh, as somebody who uh, watches my team go up against him twice a year. It's very annoying to go against and absolutely sensational to uh, win those games from time to time. 
the rare occasions that they do. And so I would have Aaron Rodgers fourth. Who is your fifth then? I'm assuming, Keen, that um, Russell Wilson's fourth. Who's, who's, who rounds out your top five? You're assuming wrong, Joe. Um, Russell Wilson, I think, is a... Let's just deal with Russell Wilson from this point of view. I, I think he's a phenomenal football player, a great quarterback. I think the, right now the league is stocked of, with incredible quarterbacks at the very top. It doesn't have great quarterbacks down to 25, 30, but it has incredible talent at the top. Russell Wilson, to me, is uh, a player who's capable of great things, a guy who hits the deep ball as well as anyone in the league, who has incredible accuracy underneath, intermediate. He, he extends plays. Obviously, everyone knows about all that. His ability to uh, diagnose plays at the snap is uh, it's outstanding, so he's always one step better than defense. But the one thing with Russell Wilson is he also creates a lot of his own pressure. And what's happened over the years is we blame the offensive line because the offensive line has been given that reputation that they're bad. So anything that goes wrong gets blamed on the offensive line. Wilson needs to play in a very specific offense. He needs to have that running game. And that's why the Seahawks are cautious with him. They don't open it up because when they've opened it up last, he's made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, not seeing open receivers, not executing plays as designed, throwing passes that should have been intercepted. So when you take him out of that offense, he's not as effective. So I would actually put Dak fourth. And the reason I put Dak fourth is Dak can play in any offense and do anything you want him to do. And Dak, similar to Russell Wilson last year, was plagued by what receiver mistakes, was plagued by playing in an awful, awful scheme. And he's going to, well, I was going to say he's going to excel now without Jason Garrett, but they brought in Mike McCarthy, who's just Jason Garrett 2.0. So he's probably going to have the same issues moving forward. But Dak, to me, just has a more well-rounded skill set and plays to an elite level. Russell Wilson, that's not shade at Russell Wilson. It's not a shot at Russell Wilson. He's an outstanding football player. This is a guy during his rookie season, during Peyton Manning's, or maybe his second season, during that great Peyton Manning year, I was arguing was the MVP of the league alongside Peyton Manning, who had 251 touchdowns and people called me insane. So I don't hate the guy by any measure. I think he's an outstanding football player, but I just don't think he's on that level of the guys ahead of him. Wow. Okay. Dak ahead of uh, Russell Wilson. I'm, I would happily have Dak rolling into town twice a year as the uh, Seahawks QB. <laughs> Who have you got, uh, Ronan? Who's your fifth best QB? Yeah, I think the top four are nailed on, as we discussed. I would have had Rodgers as number four and uh, with all the Michael Jordan stuff going on, this all-consuming documentary that's coming up and it seems sad that quote-unquote generational player that is Aaron Rodgers only has one Super Bowl and he's probably we've probably already seen the best of him. But in terms of number five, I think it's tough. I think this is open to opinion. So Deshaun Watson, I like a lot, but that's just personal preference. I know Kane's not a big fan of him. And then the other one, my my bit of a wild card is is Carson Wentz, who uh, when he's fully healthy, and I think I think we saw towards the end of last season when. I'm not a big fan of him. Need I remind you that like who is he throwing to? Like we get the list of people that uh, he basically plucked off the the unemployment line and was thrown to receivers who ultimately got into the playoffs and were he not knocked out with a concussion, who knows what would have happened. Like when Dak Prescott had Amari Cooper to throw to and Gallup and they came head to head to decide the NFC East, it was Wentz that came out on top in that little duel. So I think Wentz, who has had an MVP caliber year in his time, uh, when fully healthy and with you know, actual decent human beings to throw to, I think he has the talent to, to deliver. Well, I, 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 I like that you brought the, the drops up, though, because I have a number right in front of me. And this is the kind of the difficulty of following the NFL during the season that moves so quickly. Dak Prescott last year threw 596 passes. 51 of them were dropped. Carson Wentz threw 611. 28 of them were dropped. I think people overstayed Ooh. the receiver issue there. But the one thing I do want to jump back on is Sean Watson. I, I'm not, I don't hate Sean Watson at all. I don't dislike Sean Watson at all. But I do think he's a great example of someone who developed from being really inconsistent mid-tier quarterback 
to an above average quarterback to know someone who's uh, kind of first pressing for the top tier. And I just wanted to mention it because he was the, my next consideration for fifth. Him and Matt Ryan were kind of my top seven there. Yeah, look, I've got Deshaun Watson nailed on number five, and I actually think that there's a potential for him to be a top two quarterback. I think he, he's got, if, if he was in the same situation, if he was at the Ravens, for example, working with Harbaugh, um, or if he had Andy Reid as his offensive coordinator, the offensive genius driving him, then he would be in an environment where we would be saying that he's an all-time talent, and certainly his character seems to be such that he's able to lift an entire franchise, and he has to put that whole franchise on his shoulders because he's not getting the, the help from the people around him that he should be, particularly from the head coach, who uh, you know, seems to have boobed over the course of the winter. So, um, look, that's not a bad uh, point for us to call a halt this week. Um, it's a short, sharp show for you this week on The Snap. Uh, if anybody wants to get involved in the show, you can uh, just tweet us at Off The Wall and we'll um, read your comments out next week. And also, we look back at the, uh, the YouTube comments too. I did just want to ask, we, we didn't do a classic game club this week. We were um, supposed to try and pick some, so we will put a, a poll up. I don't know what's on that poll. Uh, it's the 2009 Super Bowl is the one... Kian, that you were particularly interested in, are there others? No, I just, I just love the fact you opened and suggested comments after we rank quarterbacks. I think you don't realize how this works. You're not going to need to encourage people to quarterback to comment. Uh, if you want to be a part of our OTB American Football Hub, where you'll get the latest news around all things Gridiron, including the Snap podcast, latest news and reports from the Irish American Football League when it restarts, head over to offtheball.com forward slash club gridiron. We'll stick that poll up in the immediate aftermath of this and uh, we'll get that going. We'll, um, we'll give everybody some homework for next week. In the meantime, we're hurtling towards the draft, which is going to happen by Zoom, it looks like, at this point. And uh, there's plenty for us to get our teeth stuck into. So thanks, lads. See you next week.